0: Consulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth.
1: Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Jim Miller of Schaefer. Say hi, Jim.
2: Hello, everybody.
1: Before we get started, let me uh, remind everyone about some of the shows that are coming up. Tomorrow's show, we're going to have Kevin Alleman of System 4. Next week, we're going to have Sister Jean Bissette president of DePaul Christo High School. That's a work-study high school. We're going to talk a little bit about the work-study program and how that works. And a week from Friday, we're going to have Ben Moore, the entrepreneur behind Agent Technologies. They're a software ASP vendor, and he's going to be talking about his uh, CRM and ERP systems. Then we're going to have on the 2nd of May... Janelle Ross, who is the owner of the Bob Ross Auto Group, which includes General Motors and Buick and Mercedes-Benz. Later in May, we're going to have Alfonso Cornejo from the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. We're going to have uh, Brad Cates, uh, the new president of uh, ProSauce. So I think we've got a great schedule coming up. Let me tell everyone about Jim Miller. Jim joined Schaefer in 1980, became the president of the company in 2006. During his tenure with Schaefer, Schaefer's portfolio has expanded to a national market that's contributed to an increased sales of over 15% in 2012. Jim, Under Jim's leadership, the firm successfully opened a second office in Columbus, Ohio, expanded in specialty markets including entertainment, parking, retail, and mixed development use, Jim believes the firm's success is rooted in three things. Two things. One, creating a great work environment for the people. Uh, Jim, uh, isn't Schaefer a, an employee-owned company?
2: We are owned by about 28 of our employees.
1: Okay. And, so, yes. and how many employees are there? We have 52. 52. Well, that's approximately 50%. And the second of Jim's belief is focusing on growth to attain the feeling of success and excitement that that brings to a firm. Do you remember, Jim, back in 1980, how many employees there were in Schaefer?
2: I, I think there was four of us.
1: Mm-hmm. Four?
2: Yes. <laughs> We've had some very steady, consistent growth. It's been really exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. Jim encourages all the members of the Schaefer staff to build better client relationships. He's led led the firm to make deliberate investments in business development and marketing. These efforts have increased his exposure to offer diverse project opportunities. Uh, Jim knows that Sony works if supported by highly skilled staff members focused on producing quality structural engineering projects that lead to continued client satisfaction. Uh, Most recently, Jim led the the firm through a rebranding, which included a name evolution, uh, refined marketing focus, and a complete overhaul of the uh, firm's identity. So I'm going to start right there, Jim. Tell us a little bit more about Schaefer and the kind of work that you do, is it anything beyond structural engineering?
2: I would say that ninety percent of our work is structural engineer uh, based we We typically work I'd say about half of our work is with architects the The normal role that you you typically see a structural engineer deal with, but the other fifty percent of our work we are hired or retained by contractors and owners and design builders, homeowners developers. Suppliers, government, project manager or property managers, attorneys, insurance companies. So we are extremely diverse, not only in the uh, clientele that we serve, but also the size and type of projects. Mm-hmm. Most of our building, most of our projects deal with buildings, mm-hmm. but we do get involved with other structural issues that involve stage rigging or temporary roof systems, bleachers, scaffolding. Uh, We get involved with some pretty strange stuff on occasion.
1: Mm -hmm. You weren't involved with that that stage that blew down in Indianapolis. We
2: were not. We get involved in many things like it, though.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. We had a guest on the show, Richard Puzo, who sells weather forecasts, (laughs) and one of his big clients last year was uh, Kings Island Amusement Park. Yes. They wanted to know whether they should... Close the outdoor show and get the audience out of there as, as a thunderstorm was approaching. Yep,
2: it, it can be a scary environment.
1: A lot of things can go flying around,
2: and very quickly. Yes,
1: <laughs> those, those <laughs> lights up at the top are pretty heavy, yeah.
2: and there's lots of uh, pressure on the, the 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 tour folks because they have a show that must go on, or so they think, and there's a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. So safety is not always primary, unfortunately.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, this, this goes back many years when uh, I went to a performance of Phantom of the Opera in Columbus. And I was walking to the theater uh, that evening with my wife. We were a little bit early. And there's a guy walking next to us on the street Carrying what looked like two really big ropes. And I said, w- what do you do? And he says, I'm, I'm working on Phantom of the Opera. The ropes are my part of the show. I, I make sure that nothing falls when it shouldn't. And when it does fall, it only falls where it's supposed to fall. <laughs> and I said, w- why are you taking the carrying the ropes into the show? He says, I won't leave them. I don't want anyone to fool with them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's his his quality control.
1: Hey, he took the ropes with him, and I appreciated that (laughs) since we were sitting in the orchestra that that night. Um, Tell tell our audience a little bit about how Schaefer goes to market. You have two cities now. We have two
2: cities. Uh, Most of our – I'd say about 80% of our business is repeat business. It is very relationship-based. So the key to our success is develop relationships, uh, stronger relationships with our current clients, and we also need to develop newer relationships. But um, a lot of insurance companies in Columbus. There are a lot of insurance companies. There's a lot of insurance companies everywhere. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's our job to find those firms out there that we can help out. You know, uh, is, is there something that we do better than the other guys that we can help? their situation.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, How did you get to to Schaefer in 1980?
2: Uh, Graduated uh, from UC in 1979, decided to get my master's degree and uh, interestingly my brother played accordion with Steve Schaefer, the founder of the firm, and they were friends and they ran into each other one day and uh, Updated each other on what was going on, and uh, Steve was looking for a recruit, and my brother knew of me, so we hooked up, and the rest is history.
1: <laughs> so you, this whole time since 1980, you've been with one firm. Yes, sir. Okay, it's a heck of a way to grow. It's pretty, good.
2: Pretty unusual, isn't it?
1: In today's marketplace, it sure is. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't run into a lot of people like that who don't say something like, "Well, I was in an allied industry, and then I came came to this company, always brought in."
2: it's a, certainly a different culture in, these days
1: mhm okay
2: and nobody uh, most of the folks that are graduating from college do not expect to stay with one firm their entire career they actually are looking forward to changing you know career several times over their over their life
1: mhm as an employee owned uh, uh, company can new employees uh, essentially buy in over time
2: yes over time we have uh, i believe it's a 2 year Period. They had to be employed before we we're willing to consider ownership.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. We'll go back to that. That's always an interesting question. Why do you think people buy from Schaefer? Because they you don't have a exclusive marketplace lock on structural engineering work. You mean there are other people in town who do it?
2: We do not. Uh, like I said before, it's based on relationships. If we have they they either hire us because they we have a relationship and we are a trusted advisor. Or, in some cases, they hire us because we have a special expertise. Or they hire us because they think we do a better job than the other guys.
1: So you and your people become trusted advisors. Absolutely. Uh, have you ever read that book?
2: Yes. Good. It's a good book.
1: It's a good book, and it's it's kind of a description of the Sandler-Selling system.
2: Yes.
1: Is there a unique marketing advantage that, that Schaefer has in the marketplace over the other guys?
2: In the market that we are in, Uh, In the type of work that we do, we typically compete against – there are probably a half a dozen firms that we typically compete against, but rarely is there more than one or two on one given project. And frequently, uh, we are not competing against anybody. We uh, essentially negotiate a fee or bill hourly. Uh, We have a trusted uh, relationship, and they they know what we can do, and they trust us, so we take care of their, their projects uh we have i guess some unique marketing uh advantage depending what the project is depending what the client is uh we tend to be a little bit different than the typical structural engineer we're not one we're not the typical stereo uh type that uh engineer that sits in the corner does their calculation is non commutative so we tend to be we tend to be more team oriented more communicative uh we have special expertise in some areas such as uh entertainment structures or parking structures or mixed use structures uh, we also are registered in fifty states so if we have a client that is very diverse with their geographic reach uh we uh, we offer that advantage
1: mhm mhm- have there been any Notable projects here in the southwest Ohio area that, that you're particularly proud of the work that you, you guys did? Uh,
2: the the larger projects that most folks would probably recognize are the banks down on the riverfront. Uh, all of the new uh, buildings at Xavier University, such as the Learning Commons, we've worked on. Uh, Rumpke Recycling, there's a large project going on right now. Uh, all of the Kroger's that you see around town, we've we did the structural engineering for. Uh, the new development at UC, University of Cincinnati, uh, U Square, I believe it's called, just south of campus. Uh, we do all the structural engineering at Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, Princeton High School is currently building a new middle school and high school, and we did the structural engineering for that. So we have, you have to realize, we have about 35 structural engineers. I'd say that 60 to 70 percent of our work is in this region. Uh, that remain that, that leaves about 30 uh, percent for the national Region, but when you have 35 structural engineers, you probably we probably do between 800 and 900 jobs a, a year. We uh, we have a lot of uh, projects out there that people uh, see every day. Well, good,
1: good, Jim. You're okay taking calls from our listeners, right? Absolutely. Good. So if you have a question for Jim, you can call in. We'll be able to screen the calls during the commercial break. Good. So if you have a question for Jim, you can call in. and We'll be able to screen the calls during the commercial break. The number is six four six five nine five four nine one six. You know, one last question before we we take a commercial break, Jim. We we just had, Thane uh, Maynard on the show, maybe a month ago. Yeah. He was talking about his new entry at the zoo.
2: It's very nice, isn't it?
1: Uh, th- did you do the, the parking structure as well?
2: The well, the parking structure is not a. Uh, it's just a slab on grade with some solar panels over it. So, there, no, we did not do anything there. We did all of the buildings for the new entry, though.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh...
2: He's very proud of it, and he should be. Right now, we're working on a, uh, a broad expanse to the uh, drafts or the African plains, they're calling it, and that will be opening up soon.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, when you say soon, you mean this year or next?
2: Yes. I think within the next- uh next several weeks, I believe
1: oh okay, so that's going to be a major current expansion
2: yeah the the restaurant actually had a soft opening a week or so ago. I heard
1: mhm-, good, so we're gonna take a a short commercial break here. We're gonna to listen to Jimmy Fox from tip Club talk about the networking organization that I'm sponsoring here in Cincinnati called Tip Club. It beats on Thursday mornings from seven to 7.30 to 9 a.m. one Thursday morning per week.
3: Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. This month we will meet on Thursday, April 18th. If you'd like to reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the events tab. Then just scroll down the list of events until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 1-800-798-0270. That's one eight hundred seven nine eight zero two seven zero. 798 270 Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you on the 18th.
1: This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Jim Miller. Uh, Jim, if any of our uh, listeners wanted to contact uh, you or your firm after the show, how would they do that?
2: They can contact us by phone, 513-542-3300, or they can visit our website, which is schaefer uh, com.
1: Okay. Earlier, we talked a little bit about rebranding. What was the old name of the company?
2: The old name of the firm was Stephen Schaefer Associates Inc.
1: Mm-hmm. And when did you change the name?
2: We changed on uh, April one, which is uh, the Reds' opening day and Schaefer's opening day.
1: Opening day and opening day, but you didn't you didn't have the big parade through downtown?
2: Sorry, right. we did not. <laughs> okay,
1: well it's not too late to, to cause a new parade for Schaefer. Now my question would be, do, do you have salespeople there at Schaefer?
2: We do. Uh, it's one of the things that we've worked on the past four or five years when the recession of nine, uh, 2008 hit, uh, many firms in the service industry had to uh, create a new structure, and part of that structure in order to be successful was to develop a sales team, and us, like many other firms in our business uh, created a sales organization to some degree every every person in a firm has to sell and and when everybody understands that and uh, you know networks and tells folks what they do and they're excited about their job it's it, it's really effective. but we also have a dedicated several folks that they are still practitioners, they're engineers, they understand what they're selling, but a major part of their job is to sell. It's not necessarily selling to current, relate, current clients. Uh, once we do a job for a client, we tend to hold on to them. And the key to that is do good work, uh, make them feel like we are part of the team and vice versa, communicate. So once we get a job, we normally are, are fairly good with that relationship and we can maintain that relationship. So the, the sales folks, or the, their job is to look for those folks that can use us, uh, that we can help their situ- situation, and they have the interest of doing that and, uh, and a personality that's conducive to that.
1: Mm-hmm. So they're responsible for building new, finding and building new relationships.
2: Yes, that is correct. Yes.
1: No, in in that particular capacity.
2: In that. In the firm, in that particular capacity, I'd say we have about six people, and of those six, uh, we have one person that I'd say close to 100% of their time is selling to new contacts or developing opportunities or finding opportunities. Uh, The other five, their uh, sales time would go from 10% to 50%
1: of their time. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the firm understands that business development is how they stay in, stay in business.
2: Uh, they do. They know that now. Uh, through the past four years of me harping on them. <laughs>
1: you know, I, I have some friends in architectural companies, uh, and uh, in, in the ones that weren't so good, they laid off fifty percent or more of their people. Yes. Uh, because they didn't have that same understanding that they needed to be business
2: developers. Yes. It was a hard lesson for many in the architectural engineering field, any service field really. Architects, uh, attorneys, accountants—they uh, all felt the brunt of the recession.
1: Have you grown by generic growth or primarily, or, or acquisition?
2: It's all been organic or generic growth, I guess you'd call that. Opened up your office in Columbus. It's not like you bought somebody else up there. Correct. We did not. We uh, sent somebody from Cincinnati up there to open up an office.
1: Good. What part of town are you in
2: up there? Uh, we are in Grandview.
1: Okay. Yeah, we we, we do some training in uh, downtown. A lot of law firms downtown. Yes, there are. As you look at the uh, the business climate today, what do you see as the opportunities and possibilities?
2: The opportunities and possibilities, I think, are, are practically limitless. You just have to find them or you have to uh, do enough marketing where they'll find you. There will always be construction. There will always be renovations to buildings. Uh, there will always be investigations. There will be issues. So the, the opportunities are, are endless, really. You just have to focus on which ones you want and create a plan and go after it.
1: Mm-hmm. So you do investigations as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. You you weren't
2: involved in the
1: casino floor, the garage
2: floor? We were not, done.
1: Good. How about the obstacles in the marketplace?
2: Are there any for you guys? There's all kinds of obstacles, (laughs) yes. Uh, Really? Yes. Finding that client that understands the value that you bring to the project and appreciates that value and respects that value. We find that many of our clients uh, do not know when a particular structural engineer does a particularly good job or particularly bad job. We They'll find out during construction if the construction documents were well-detailed and things tend to fit together. But other than that, most folks will not know whether or not that structural work was overly conservative or non-code compliant. It's the structural engineers that really have a handle on that, and it's a special expertise, really. And most architects, most building owners, most developers don't have the ability to tell a a good design from a bad design.
1: Mm -hmm. Like when Kentucky had to rebuild the cut in the hill a couple of times because the concrete wasn't strong enough, was that a structural engineering problem or?
2: I would say that was probably a quality control project or quality control problem. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you guys have a long-term strategic planning process, and what's it like?
2: We tend to. change our planning process every several years. Oh, that, actually, we probably revisited uh, a formal uh, strategic plan every few years. Mm-hmm. And then in between that time, we, we tweak it. But the, the key to that is to pay attention to the environment uh, and be willing to change and quick to change when the time it, uh when the time is necessary for it to change. But uh, yeah, we we generally look at it every few years, make sure that we're heading in the right direction. We put together a plan that might last about five years or so, but it's very difficult to look beyond that. Very difficult to look beyond one or two years, actually.
1: Yeah, when we work with clients on strategic plans, uh, we say it gets fuzzy at 18 months. (laughs) Too foggy to plan much beyond two years, and our recommendation is almost always the same is that we will revisit the plan every 12 months and reset the 18-month and 24-month windows because some stuff might have come into focus. Yes. And the ground may have changed around us, so we may have to do radical things at 12 months to keep the 24-month goal.
2: And the majority of the changes are related to the market. Mm-hmm. What market should you be selling to? What markets give you the most return on investment? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are you needed most? Well, markets and people.
1: Yes. A lot of baby boomers are retiring. I have one client that's got three out of four salespeople in their 60s. It's not good. With over 40 years of experience, they know everybody in the territory. Yeah. What's going to happen when they retire? That's a hell of a problem. (laughs) I've suggested that we bring on some intern-type Salespeople to do some serious job shadowing it, yeah, and helping because it's yeah. going to take maybe two years to get these guys uh, fully shadowed. So in case they want to retire or are forced to retire by health conditions,
2: ideally every person in the firm should be looking for the replacement. Mm-hmm. Have somebody on standby.
1: Gee, that's something that I was taught many years ago in the
2: computer industry at the
1: Burroughs Corporation. Yeah. The way you get promoted is finding someone who can do your job better than you can <laughs> so you can move up to the next level.
2: Yeah.
1: What do you think people are looking for right now in terms of structural engineering? Are they, are they looking for the low-price vendor? Uh,
2: many clients are, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the more savvy of the clients are looking for uh, a long-term return on investment. Uh, cheap price, like many businesses, does not always give you the best value. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: again, Jim has agreed to answer questions, and we'll be screening calls during the commercial break. The number is 646-595-4916. Uh, Jim, how do you measure ROI for structural engineering? That's a, a, a difficult one for me.
2: How does a client measure ROI? Yeah, ROI.
1: yeah, yeah. how would you measure
2: that? It starts with fee because that's the, your first uh, initial investment mm-hmm. uh, then it segues into construction cost, and that is uh, a part material cost, and then also the labor associated with creating that that structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have you can spend more in materials and save significantly on labor and and vice versa. so there's a balance there. You need creative engineering to determine which which balance to go with, and then eventually you need uh, whatever you built to be durable. Uh, if you have to spend lots of maintenance dollars every few years, you're you're not going to get a high return on your investment.
1: Can you give us an example of, of some work that you guys have done uh, that people might be aware of that, that
2: had a good ROI, really good ROI? I'd say the. Practically every job we've ever worked on has a good RI because uh, it's they're generally maintenance-free. Uh, we you know, put some serious thought into it, but but what we deal with are the the pieces that are are hidden. You know, it can cause serious issues if you don't do a good job. But you know, the the, the wood framing and the concrete framing and steel framing that we design mm-hmm. is generally protected by skin of the building. Now you could. Um, one of the cases where that's not the case is in parking structures, parking garages. Uh, you can certainly, you know, all of the structure there is exposed to the environment, and if you do not get uh, quality engineering and quality construction, you will start having serious problems within 10 years or so.
1: Hmm. I mean, I, don't you put, like, concrete around the steel?
2: Yes, but the concrete is uh, can be very uh, much prone to deterioration if it's not uh, properly specified, and built.
1: So it's special concrete around those steel pillars that hold the garage up?
2: But it's not necessarily special concrete. It's high-quality concrete.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just as a side in a minute, what do you think of the guys who who are going to complete the project up in on 71 near the Kenwood Mall uh, using the, the steel that's been
2: sitting there unprotected for three or four years now? There won't be any issue with the with the steel uh, surface rust is not going to harm the ability of the uh, structure to perform adequately.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and long term, the surface rust won't
2: won't completely deteriorate the part. It will not. Once the moisture is removed from the from the environment, you know, once a building is skinned and heated and cold, the deterioration will stop. And the deterioration that it sees right now is very minor.
1: Yeah, it's just. Just, then. Just surface
2: rust, yeah. Surface rust does not jeopardize the the integrity of the steel. Uh, if it was there for the next 30 years, it would because the the surface rust would uh, develop into loss of section, loss of cross-sectional area for the steel, and then it would become very important. But it's fine now; won't be won't be a problem.
1: Good. We're going to take a uh, another commercial break, and uh, again, if you have a question. You can call us at 646-595-4916. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never soar. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Jim Miller from Schaefer. Uh, Jim, uh, we have a theory of operation here that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you want to solve a complex problem, you need to have an equally complex solution. Perhaps you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you encountered as a a leader over at uh, Schaefer and the equally complex solution which might be applicable to another company or another CEO.
2: In general, I would tend to disagree with that statement i always hope that a the answer to a complex problem is a very simple solution but i'm not always successful with that
1: i used to hope that too <laughs> uh real fast story and my regular listeners know i've told the story at least once in the last year uh once upon a time uh i owned a company that was putting privately owned paid telephones in las vegas and uh, we we got the contract for like 407 and 11 stores Maybe it was 200 doors and 400 phones. And we we installed them all, and they were running good and then at this time of year. Then came uh, June and July, and the exterior ex- enclosures were painted black. The phones were black with chrome trim, and they started dropping like flies. And I sent one of my engineers out, and he t- said to me, Mike, the phones are getting too hot. The electronics aren't working. We open up the, the cabinet, cool them down, and they work for another couple of hours. I said, simple solution, Steve, put in fans.
2: Or keep the doors open.
1: Well, then the access to the coin box was available to the public. So Steve looked at me and said, Mike, won't work. Next morning, he comes back with a $600 digital thermometer. And he said, Mike, I'm going to measure this afternoon, the temperature inside the cabinets on some 7 that are where our phones are in the sun. He proceeded to do it, and it exceeded 220 degrees. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, when we discovered that the manufacturer put in consumer-grade electronics, which are only good to 180 degrees. Yeah. He said the solution was, we need no-spec chips on the boards, Mike. Yeah. It wasn't a pleasant telephone call between me and the manufacturer wasn't a simple solution. In some cases, we actually had to physically relocate, relocate the, the telephone enclosures to an area that was going to be shaded from the midday sun by the storefront itself. Yeah. Uh, it was a series of very expensive fixes, extremely expensive fixes. Eventually, we got circuit boards with mil-spec chips on it that were good to well over 220 degrees, but that took months. So complex problems, complex solutions. Have you run into anything like that?
2: Absolutely. Actually, I, two two examples come to mind. One is the the problem that many of our firms had several years ago where we did not have a sales organization. And to me, it was a simple solution. You just need to get some folks out there networking with clients, potential clients, and telling them who you are and telling them what you do and telling them you're interested in doing work with them. So that to me, was a very simple solution. It just we didn't have an organization at the time to to handle it.
1: You know, it's interesting because uh, I've been in the downtown Rotary Club for 15 years, and I came to Cincinnati 22 years ago. I had never heard of your firm until recently. Yeah. Even under the old name.
2: And we have a very small clientele, though. We we have a specialty service. There aren't a, uh, I would say that less than... 5% Five percent of society probably needs or uses a structural engineer. So, in the,
1: the, the Rotary Club, just does, in that forum, I probably met yeah. principals of a dozen architectural firms, yeah. and maybe yeah. uh, one, one other engineering firm in fifteen, sixteen years. I bet all those
2: architects and the engineers know of us. They probably do. Yeah. So you have to market to a select group. Otherwise, you're, you're spending marketing dollars that you know, they have no
1: benefit to you. Yeah. I always say to people, you need to touch 100% of the desirable opportunities 100% of the time. Yes. 100% being the passing grade. Mm-hmm. Because if you miss an opportunity and you didn't compete, you can't win it. Yep. Yeah.
2: But another example uh about well i would say 6 years ago we came to the realization that we had a potential problem with ownership transition the the culture that society has these days with ownership of you know small business ownership is very different than it was 20 years ago you know folks don't come out of school with a dream that they're going to start with a firm, become an owner, and stay with that firm for the rest of their career. They're, it's a very much uh, more transient society these days. Well, we have a lot of
1: family-owned businesses here in Cincinnati. I take it uh, your your firm isn't that
2: type of company. We are not. Yes. So so the problem that we had was that you know you know over the next twenty years we are going to have a very significant need for an ownership transition and we wanted some manner to uh, or some process to to really put us in a good position for that to be successful mm-hmm. so the the first thing we did was create what we believe to be a, a very fair valuation system so it's a valuation system that's simple that's fair to the seller and fair to the buyer and then one of the uh We had some professional help that helped us with it. But, you know, with our help and with our own internal structure, we thought that it would be very appropriate to set up a system where the owners would get – we would shoot for a 25% return on their investment. Uh, But essentially, we also wanted to always be equal or better than the common investment returns that somebody would get with mutual funds or whatever. So that was the first step, creating a fair valuation uh, of our of our firm. Uh, the next thing we did, we, we created a system where folks could still buy stock if they had the interest in the funds. Mm-hmm. But if they didn't, we would take a portion of our profits and distribute rather than just two or three key owners. We would distribute to uh, folks throughout the entire firm. Uh, assuming they had ownership to begin with, so some level of stock ownership, we would take those profits and distribute to uh those current owners and a portion of that would be it would be incentivized, but a portion of that would be given to them in forms of shares of the company so the the long term result of that is that we get to the higher performers with each year gradually achieving acquiring more stock from the current owners. And when we strategize or we, we, we created the 20-year plan, uh, I, I think it's going to work out okay. And we've been using that system for the last two or three years, and so far it's been working out really good. I, I feel very comfortable about the the ownership transition uh, that the firm will experience over the next um, 5, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. It, it also
1: seems to have a, uh, a subtle uh, form of what I call golden handcuffs. The existing good employees uh, can't leave because the value that they have is increasing.
2: Yeah, well, it could, but still, if if somebody is unhappy with their current situation for whatever reason, you know, sometimes there's it, just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, people change, firms change. Uh, we did not want to have such a strong golden handcuff that they could not leave. If somebody is not a good fit, we wanted them to be able to leave. Mm-hmm. So we we have uh, a fair exit strategy also.
1: So you have a, a fair buyout strategy. Yes. A company to buy back the stock that someone has yes. has earned over over time. Okay. Yes. Do you have a uh, an internet
2: strategy at, at Schaefer? Yeah an internet strategy we we have a
1: are you using the internet and social media to drive prospective business to find you even if they're not located locally where you can easily find them
2: yes we do and we're continuing to enhance and improve it uh, all the time you know we have a a strong web presence uh, especially with our recent rebrand mm-hmm. so our our website looks uh, refreshed and it's uh, current uh, it's attractive i believe um, other than that, we we get involved with uh, Twitter and social me- other forms of social media. It's it's not a, a as as active as I'd like, but uh, I think in the next year or two, I think we'll continue to make progress. Okay,
1: uh, did you de- develop that site in-house or you using an outside vendor?
2: We did it uh, mostly in-house. We had uh, a consultant that helped us with a the rebrand. But the uh, website was done in-house with a very talented marketing manager.
1: Take a short break.
2: This is Mike Roth with Tom Manning. We're talking
1: about your marketing and sales boot camp. and The name of the program is? It's called Engage 2013. Engage 2013. And you're going to be running it in Columbus and in Cincinnati. Correct. Okay. And if a company sends their CEO, the CEO comes, and he's bringing a chief marketing officer, what would they be getting by attending your program?
4: Well, the first thing we try to do is we try to get the company to develop a story. Figure out what your key messages are, what the value proposition is, and come up with their company's story. From that, we can actually look at all your marketing materials to be sure they're telling the same story. All your marketing and sales materials. So, does your website match your brochures, match your email campaign, and all of your branding? Does it tell the same message? Okay. Does it really have to match? It really does, because what it does is it creates a consistency in the eyes of the end customer or the end user of your products and services. If you are talking
1: have, about user or prospect here.
4: Well, it depends what your industry is. If you're B2C, it's going to be your customers, mm-hmm. and it's going to be what your customer sees with your company. Right. If you have different messages, you're actually causing customer confusion. If you're B2B, it's going to be you and the other businesses, and you're going to be trying to capture market share. And so are you consistent as to what your message is and how you define yourself in the marketplace?
1: hmm And why should someone attend? So
4: what we'll do is we're going to, over the course, we're going to help you um, define your, your key messages and your company story. And then from that, we're going to help you develop a marketing strategy and a sales strategy and perhaps a social media strategy that helps coordinate
1: all of that. So people will be consistent at the end.
4: Correct. We're going to actually look at everything from your logo and your corporate identity. Does it match that key messages? Your website, are the messages on your website consistent? Your
1: brochure,
4: your sales presentations, your PowerPoint presentations, your proposal system, your email campaign, your trade show.
1: And naturally, your selling system. And, of course, your selling system as well. Tom, if someone is interested in finding out more, either speaking to you or speaking to you personally... How should they do that?
4: There's two ways. Uh, One, you could go to marketleaders.us. That's the website for Engage 2013. You can learn all about the sessions there and the speakers and the time frame and and, uh, registration. Or you can call me directly if you have any questions that aren't answered there, and you can reach me at 614-622-1047.
1: Thanks, Tom. In future weeks, we'll be hearing more from Tom about the Engaged Marketing and Sales 2013. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Jim Miller. Jim, here's a a question I'd like to ask. Maybe you can give the other CEOs, company presidents that are listening, entrepreneurs, a uh, leadership tip or two.
2: Most important tips that I could give to fellow CEOs and presidents is to create an open culture. Be extremely open with your staff regarding strategy goals or strategic goals, uh, financial performance, financial goals. I sincerely believe that the more they understand, the more they can help you and help the firm. Then what, what I suggest doing is let your staff get involved with running the business, helping with strategy, decisions, processes, etc., and use their intelligence, their passion, and their ambition to let you make more progress and then in some cases, we actually give folks free rein on some programs very uh very important programs to our to our uh, development as a successful firm, and we give them. A manager only to not guide them, not help them make decisions, but we give them a manager to free them up so that they have the resources to make progress on their project. So so in the end, I think not only will you end up with better solutions because you're using the creativity of a larger team, a generally a younger team, but you're all, your staff will also feel like they're part of the solution, and they will therefore support it more. Mm-hmm. Uh. How is it
1: project type work where you're creating a, a team with a with a leader?
2: It can be. It can be one or two people that uh, are very interested in a part a certain part of the firm. So we uh, give them some very loose big picture goals and ask them to make an improvement and come up with a an ide an idea that will help us. Uh, And the leader is only there to free up their time so that they have time to spend on it. The leader is not there to guide them in a certain direction.
1: Mm -hmm. So the creativity is coming out of the team. Yeah, that's that's
2: what we're trying to do, get the creativity from everybody, not just the the leader that's been there for 20 years. Creativity is not age-dependent. Creativity can can come from anybody. That's
1: right. I was talking to a uh, company owner on Tuesday about the nature of his business. And he told me the nature of his business is creativity and putting together two unlike things to come up with something different that differentiates his company from everyone else in his industry. And he's in a highly competitive industry. Uh, Brilliant strategy that's taken him into some exceptionally large accounts.
2: What has always surprised me is that In our firm of engineers, and this might be typical of of many firms, but we are extremely creative when we are given a problem. You know, when we work on a building system and we are given a very complex problem that is derived by the owner or created by the owner or the architect or whatever, we do an excellent job of solving that problem. We have a much harder time when we have to define the problem first. So when I just ask a group of people, say, in technology, help us improve some of our processes or help us use uh, or better leverage technology. That is so broad. The hardest part of that problem is to define the problem first. And then once we define the problem, God, we are so talented we can solve anything. The hard part is defining the problem. Mm-hmm.
1: And which part of the problem you want to fix.
2: That's right. There's <laughs> yes, there could be so many different problems.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll share this idea with you since I don't think it's a new idea or a copyright patentable idea. You know, I've been a great advocate of CRM for the past 30 years, helped design several pro- products in that area. And Sandra was talking about bringing out a new CRM, um, a simple CRM. Mm-hmm. Well, hmm. Simple is good. And I sat down with the developer, the owner of the company, And she said to me, Mike, what should we put into the product? And I said to her, really simply, 100% voice recognition. That would be nice. Our our salespeople, for the most part, didn't go to typing class or keyboarding class, especially people in their 40s or 50s or even older. Even if they did, it's so much easier to talk
2: into a a system as opposed to typing it. So much more efficient. That with Jim yesterday, he
1: said this, I said that, this is what we need to do. And you're done. Yep. Okay. As opposed to fighting with salespeople or marketing people or engineers about actually filling out the CRM. Yep. That's the number one reason why CRMs fail. Yep. People do not put in the data. And then so when the CEO goes to look at the dashboard, the data that he needs isn't there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I have that challenge personally. (laughs)
1: Oh really? Which CRM are you guys using at Schaefer?
2: Called Cosential. We purchased it uh year year and a half ago. It's more geared to the service industry, maybe even the AE field. Uh it's it has some bugs still, but um it's it's working out okay. It was a um it was a good decision. Uh it allows us to uh organize our effort much better. And, and it's it's been a
1: major improvement. Uh, here at Sandler, we recommend and support three CRMs uh, Microsoft CRM, Salesforce.com, and ACT. Those are the three primaries. There are a lot of others that we also support and a lot that we don't uh, via a, uh, a Java type plugin that uh, one of our VARs has created for us. Uh, specifically, it works in some, and specifically, it doesn't work in others. I am a goldmine user for many years and we're not supported. <laughs> hmm. But let's talk about growth in the company. Are you anticipating 2013, 2014, an up year so you're going to be adding people to your organization?
2: I expect we'll be adding uh, one or two people. Our sales revenue plan for 2013 incorporated, I believe, a 12%, 13% increase. So it, uh, if we're fortunate enough to get there, and I think we will. We're on track so far to achieve that. We'll probably need another person or two.
1: But Do mm-hmm. you see yourselves expanding to markets beyond the uh, Cincinnati and Columbus market?
2: Yes, we have one uh, possibility that we're exploring right now, and in the future, I'd say in the next two to four years, we'll probably uh, investigate some other cities.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think the hottest markets in, in America are? for your type of business, structural engineering?
2: Uh the hottest markets uh I think uh the east coast like Charlotte, North Carolina is very hot. Still a strong market. Yes. Um other than that, I I'm not real sure. I know Charlotte is hot. Uh some of the other areas they still are, are very cyclical. So the currently I'm not sure what's hot.
1: hmm Are you guys involved at all in the uh structural engineering of uh uh uh, fracking wells and stuff like that?
2: No, nope, nope. If we get involved, it would be to uh, help design the buildings or the, the structures. Uh, and, and we we could get involved with that very easily if we run across the right client and they have a need. But uh, right now we're not involved with it. Hmm. Uh,
1: it seems to be a really uh, almost a gold rush. Yeah. Yes, it does. In eastern parts of Ohio over the Utica Shale too. Uh, get everything in before Ohio decides to change the tax rates. Yeah,
2: it would actually be a good fit for us. We we do a fair amount of industrial work, so it would be easy for us to uh, get into that market. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do special buildings? Special buildings? Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, well, kind of like the,
1: the building the FBI put up behind uh, the towers of Kenwood. It looked like it was a special building, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. Uh,
2: I, I I suppose we do, but uh, your your definition is special. Is, is
1: really thick walls, unusual construction, and, and man, they slap that thing up
2: there really fast. Yeah, uh, we have done some federal work on occasion. Uh, the the you know as far as big and beefy, the the things that I remember more so than. Uh, Others are the the radio the radiation facilities that require four foot thick concrete walls to uh, stop the, the the waves from getting out into the public. Getting oh,
1: out into the public. oh yeah, with a lead sheet in the middle of the wall. Yeah, yeah. You guys aren't going to be affected by the streetcar. You're not. Are you doing any work for that for the city?
2: We are not. Uh, If it goes ahead, we would be uh, impacted by the development around the streetcar, the new buildings or the building renovations. We do a lot of work in Over the Rhine with building renovations. I guess they have to, if they go ahead, they have to have a uh, trolley garage. Yes.
1: Which seemed like a rather large conversion of an old building. Yes. Yes. But that would be very interesting. Which seemed like a rather large conversion of an old
2: building. Yes. Disagree entirely. Uh, we, I, I, I love old buildings, and I love trying to salvage old buildings. Now sometimes it can be done. Most of the time, it can be done
1: cost-effectively.
2: Yes. Rarely does a building need to be torn down. It can be salvaged.
1: Hmm. But don't you really need to know how it was built? Oh, we do. Oh, you have the original plans?
2: No, we rarely have the original plans, but we can do enough forensic investigation to know how it was built.
1: Okay, so you can figure out where the steel or wood columns are in an yes. old building yes. and figure out what kind of uh, weight supports the second floor or third floor might right. might need. Right,
2: and, and if the building is you know 60 or 100 or 200 years old, there's a reason it's still around. It's probably very well built.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, just real briefly, because we're running out of time. What's your opinion on the uh, uh, salvageability or the or the the costs of fixing Music Hall and the, and uh, Union Station?
2: I am not sure. Uh, the the well, for Music Hall, it, it's it's in relatively good shape, so that has to be salvaged. That is such a, a gem. Uh, union Terminal, the price tag is going to be so uh, so large that. It's. I'm not sure if the cost justifies it, but then on the other hand, you know, if we go ahead with it 100 out, and look back and think that was a, a wise move.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a, an engineer, but when I look at Union Station from the parts that we can see is the general public in the display areas of the rotunda.
2: It truly is, yeah. Would really
1: it, would, it would be a terrible shame to lose that one. Yeah. yeah.
2: Have you ever been in the uh, the control tower in the back? Isn't that amazing? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes, in the the old railroad.
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) Fantastic tower. And uh, through the Rotary Club one year, we did a behind-the-scenes tour at the uh, music hall, and they took us down to the basement of the the music hall. I don't know if you've ever been down there. I have not. That's where the, the pillars go right into the dirt. Yeah. And you can see back there. That's where the Phantom of the Opera lives. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was an amazing
2: little... I, I know it's extremely expensive to maintain those buildings, but, boy, that's part of our history, and I think we have to figure out some manner of saving them. It'd be such a loss if we can't. Yeah, I think we have to prioritize which ones we want to
1: save and, and, and work those and let some of the others go where there's no overwhelming uh, need or social reason to, to keep them around, like Music Hall and the Union Station, both landmarks in Cincinnati. you got certainly to keep them around. Are. They certainly are. Yep. Good. Jim, I want to thank you for uh, being our guest today. Uh, I'm going to be giving you a copy of the new Sandler book, The 11 uh, Sandler Success Principles. Uh, that book made it to number one on the Amazon bestseller list last year. Uh, there will be some new Sandler books this year, and in that book, you're going to find Uh, a million dollars, and a a couple of free training passes for for you and your guys to to come down to some of the uh, Sandler training
0: classes that we do here.
2: Thank you very much, Mike.
1: Scott, why don't you take it away?
0: Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net. Or call Mike at 513-753-9400.